Yo, what's up everybody? You are back on the house list with your host, me, Peter Augustin. Welcome back. Doing a special two-show episode this week. Typically, I put my episodes up like late Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. But I wanted to drop two this week. One, because there's no rules here whatsoever, since uh, this is just me. I'm not beholden to any kind of schedule uh, that someone's created for me. Um, And two, more importantly, is the guy that I have as a guest on the show this week, Andrew Broder, is doing two big shows in New York City uh, on December 12th and 13th at the King's Theater in Brooklyn supporting Bonnie Bear. So two shows with Bonnie Bear. He was just in Europe uh, on a big tour and we spoke right before he took off for that. And um, if any of you are familiar with Andrew or, or rather I should say you may be familiar with him through his work as Fog. He's done a couple albums under the moniker um, of Fog, which at first started as a solo thing in 2000. Um, the True Heads would have that. That's a self-title, uh, or it's called The Fog on uh, Dinky Town Records. And then he did a, a, a few joints on Ninja Tune Lex Records, uh, which was built out into more of a broader um, uh, full band um instrumentation of like you know guitars and drums and uh just like a big broader sound uh but he put out a record this year the top of this year on the minneapolis based label totally gross national product that's pretty dope it's called for good and um uh this is kind of a return to form in that he is kind of back on the solo tip again, which is really cool. It's dope. It's got this a sort of similar aesthetic where it's um, there's a lot of like um, subtle DJ type shit in the mix, some beats as well as live instrumentation and playing. It's very like, uh, you know, I, I I'm not sure for sure for sure, but I think he he did produce and play everything on the record himself. Uh, and I, I would think he definitely um, recorded uh, most of it himself, if not the whole thing. Um, but it's dope. It's, it's it's really cool. And after we did this uh, this um, uh, we we recorded this podcast, I went and saw him play, and it was as a duo performance. It was him and a, and uh, and a young woman that was. Um, adding some accompaniment like on a sampler or a keyboard but he's he's a pretty talented dude so I've known him for 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 a while because uh, uh, briefly I contributed to the um, short-lived albeit super unique impactful print magazine from Minneapolis called life sucks die so it was like this crazy, like punk rock, graffiti, hip hop, kind of just like kitchen sink style zine magazine. Um, but it was dope. 
um, and um, I wrote some, I wrote reviews for it, and he was one of the main um, contributors, I would say, as a writer. Um, it was a faction of guys in Minneapolis that have all gone on to do a lot of cool stuff, definitely uh, in the arts world too, and design. Um, if you're familiar with burlesque, if you're familiar with the artist Aaron um, Horky, I think I hope I pronounced that right. I'm not going off of anything. I'm just going straight off the dome. So, so nevertheless, Andrew Broder, aka DJ Andrew, aka Fog. Um, he is uh, he's a really interesting dude, you know, and just a, 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 a unique a unique individual within the context of the Minneapolis underground scene, the Minneapolis DJ hip hop sort of community of the of the '90s, late '90s, early 2000s, um, and just like a really unique producer uh, and and really amazing musician like i've seen some of his other bands play too because he has a bunch of side projects too like if you want to nerd out and and like learn a bunch about one particular artist like just look into andrew's catalog or go on discogs or or wherever and um and dig around and stuff because the dude does uh, some pretty uh, uh, a, a wide-ranging uh brush stroke of his um output so anyway um big up to him he came to the house while he was on tour uh, i uh, warmed up some some leftovers from the night before and we we caught up because i hadn't seen him in a long time and um, i know him really through uh, my deep connection to some of the the guys from anticon particularly um dose one and uh, uh no Stom and gel and uh, but he he's definitely all over um uh and, and yoni wolf as well he he's contributed a lot of stuff to all their uh records um and just a big part of that label's history as well so we had a, a pretty cool conversation check it out you know and i appreciate you um coming through on the house list with your host peter agostin and our guest andrew broder let's check out our conversation right now not that like um i think that's probably the best like starting point too is yeah. just like the uh is really just coming into what you were doing before life sucks die because that then it was people just knew you as dj andrew right right, right. so this would, yeah so that would be like 98 ish 98 99 uh i was just djing um around between cities under the name DJ Andrew making mixtapes doing battles um, you know just on like the local kind of level and pretty much influenced by you know the turntablist movement of the day the right. you know, scratch pickles and the X-Men and uh, Dibs and Kid Koala and all that stuff was just kind of like percolating at that point and so did you start like um you obviously started before that, though. I mean, yeah. I mean, I started DJing when I was like fifteen, when I got turntables first. Where did you get turntables? Do you get turntables from the source? <laughs> no, I didn't get them from the source. I was in a. Uh, I actually had a small role in a movie uh, when I was fifteen, and I took the money that I got from that and bought turntables with it. Really? And um, just started buying twelve inches. Uh, what was the movie? It's called The Cure. 
and it's like a uh, it was like um, sort of an after school special type of vibe but a movie um, but it was shot in Minneapolis it, yeah I shot outside of Minneapolis and um, I was doing like I was in theater like I was doing theaters oh, okay. and stuff like that and so um, I went and auditioned with a buddy of mine and got a small part in this movie it's about a little boy that has AIDS and Whoa. like him and his friend have a adventure and I uh, actually play like a bully like a teenage bully me and wow. two other yeah if I at, at one point the scene that I'm in uh, what I know was on YouTube findable. I don't know that it's still findable, but it's like it's pretty funny. So it's like a regional TV movie or something. No, it was a movie. It was like yeah? a Hollywood movie. Really? Yeah. yeah oh. It was directed by some guy that was on the show Thirty Something. I can't remember his name. And like, who was in it? Like, uh, well, the kid, the the two main actor kid actors that were in it were the kid that was in Jurassic Park, and um, and then this uh, other kid, Brad Renfro, who actually died. Wow. Um, Right. Uh, they were like the two lead actors, um, and who else? Annabella Shiora was in it. And, um, uh, anyways, yeah, it was like a real movie that was shot in Minnesota. I just had a small part as a kid that bullied a kid with AIDS, so I was like walking around trying to pretend I was tough. Right. And uh, <laughs> and um, were you doing um, like theater and plays as yeah, a, as a kid? Yeah. 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 I was like into acting. And, um, Drama camp and class and stuff like that. Just like children's theater, like right. local children's theater stuff like that, and um, did an internship at like a local theater in Minneapolis and stuff like that. Yeah, I was into it. Um, and um, so yeah, so I was in this movie, and and what I got paid for being in the movie, I bought turntables with because I, you know, at that point in my mid teenage years, was just like fully in love with rap music at that point, and right. knew that I wanted to participate in participate in it in some way and I always played music and was very musical and played guitar and you know that kind of thing and so I, I did think you pick up a guitar before you messed with turntables yeah I, I was playing I started playing guitar when I was like 10 oh cool and I played like guitar and piano and, um, so always you know like from a very very early age I always knew that I wanted to do music and loved playing and, but DJing appealed to me and wanting to learn how to make beats and make music that way appealed to me uh, and it seemed like the way that I could sort of be a part of rap music in a you know convincing way because I you know being like a white kid from the suburbs I think I even from an early age was had a sort of self-awareness like you know I didn't right. wanna, it was like a self-imposed self-awareness. Self-imposed too. self-awareness. Right. Yeah, like you know, just like you. yeah, or just like weird guilt, <laughs> you right. know, guilt about just like oh, I know this thing isn't like mine, but I love it so much and I want to be a part of it. So I thought that right. you know, like okay, you know, I can be musical and I can DJ, and and so that was kind of how I felt like I could be into it. So yeah, so I got turntables, just basically taught myself. I didn't know anybody that right. DJed, so I just cool. like, taught myself to do it. Um, and the only DJs I was listening to were stuff on the radio uh, in Minneapolis. Um, this guy, Stage One, had a radio show uh, called Strictly Butter that I would make tapes off of at night. Uh, so taping the radio, right? And, yeah. And, yeah, making pause tapes on the radio. And another station called KMOJ would have rap stuff on the weekends and stuff. So I'd make tapes off the radio and um, Yo! MTV Raps and all this stuff was just like permeating my mind and um so yeah that's 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 kind of what got me into it and then eventually just started playing shows at 
wherever parties and right. garages and coffee shops and you know wherever the hell wherever I could DJ. So, but you were just kind of a lone wolf in that too, like or did by that time where I mean I had a little or... crew of friends who were yeah. also you know I mean at, at that time also I was getting into writing graffiti and so you know you have a crew and then everybody right. kind of like does the same shit and is into the same shit. But I was the I was the one that DJ like right out of everybody, um, and so. Yeah, like, you know, my later years of high school, junior and senior year of high school, and from that point on was pretty much just, like, that 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 became, like, my identity. I think that's when you discover your identity, kind of, as a young sure. person. That was what I decided my identity was. And you were, you were born and raised in Minneapolis? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I grew up in a suburb of Minneapolis called St. Louis Park. Okay. Yeah, which is just, like, right outside of Minneapolis. And you've always lived there, right? Yeah. Have you, did you ever move away and no, come back? No, no, I've always lived in the Twin Cities. So, and that in itself, too, I mean, is such a rich, has such a musical, like, mm-hmm. um, uh, landscape, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, uh, and it seems like, too, even just, like, l- looking at your, the groups that you've had, too, and I don't want to jump, like, ahead too far with, like, your own projects, but it's, like, they're kind of all they're like kind of crisscross over the map mm. sort of genre wise yeah too. yeah for sure Twin Cities Minneapolis is really lucky in that regard I think because there is a lot of cross pollination stylistically I mean it's a small place you right. know, so it's uh, but it's very rich with talent and um, you know people are pretty open-minded Right. And there's just a lot happening for the size of it. And I mean, I think that that was one thing that I think really started to happen when I was just kind of starting to come up was, you know, hip hop groups were starting to play with rock bands and jazz right. shows. And it was a very kind of fertile time, like late 90s Twin Cities of like all these people kind of like meeting new people and trying new things. And there would be improv nights where I would go scratch with you know jazz players or, or, right. or you know people would get up and you know rhyme sayers dudes would be like freestyling over funk players or jazz dudes or whatever you know it was just it was just very loose and um and uh you know not always great but but like, sure but uh very um inspired yeah you're kind of like finding your way through it mm-hmm. did you like the suburbs do you remember that band? The band of the Suburbs? Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, I never listened to the Suburbs, but what's funny, my, the guitar player in Fog, Jeremy, who I've been playing with forever, he actually plays in the Suburbs. Oh, no way. Currently. Yeah, yeah currently. Oh, okay. Yeah, when they when they emerge from their uh, uh, homes to uh, play a show, he plays with them now. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I never checked them. They were a little before my time. Right. Yeah, As 80s. was, yeah, same with like replacements and Husker Du and all that stuff, like all that real legendary Minneapolis, like punk stuff was just a little before my time. Right. So I never um, got too deeply into that when, the, you know, the time, like in my teenage years, the shit that was like really happening was like the early rhyme sayer shit really. right. and, and punk, sh- you know, and punk shows right. kind of simultaneously. Um, you know, those were those were the first shows that I really started. I mean, beyond stuff that would just come through First Avenue um, that I would go to regular touring concerts or whatever. The stuff that was happening locally was, yeah, like the local hip hop shows. Beyond First Avenue, like, where would you, what would that be? Because, um, I mean, that that seems to, First Avenue, obviously, which I love, and I love the staff there and the history of the place, mm-hmm. but it does cast a pretty long shadow, like, um, in a way where, yeah. you know, as far as, like, uh, looking back at, like, the late 90s, like, in, in 
I've only been to Minneapolis a handful of times too. Like, what? Where were you going? Like, where would you guys congregate during I mean, that the, seminal time? Yeah, at that point, it was a lot of like coffee shops, and like I remember, like a lot of shows would happen at like coffee shops because you could because they were all ages, um, or like. Um, where else? You know, there's a place called Intermedia Arts, which was like a kind of an arts center uh, kind of vibe, and they would have shows there. I like mean, all ages type. All ages, shit. Yeah, yeah. A lot of what was going on had kind of had to be all ages. Like the audience was was young, and the artists were young, and everybody was young. So it's like you know, there there was one place at, uh, called Bon Appetit, which was just like on the U of M campus, just like this little restaurant coffee shop thing, and that's where a lot of those hip-hop shows happened um yeah just kind of like just small coffee shops cafes you know wherever anybody could find really or just like small clubs um yeah this place called the dinky towner was another one you know just like right yeah little small places yeah i think i did you never booked you weren't the booker at the dinky towner were you so no, I, but I, I know just I did shows there. there a lot. Yeah, right. I just like played there all the time, hung out there all the time. That's where a lot of like, yeah, like what I was talking about, like sort of jams would happen with artists from all different kinds of backgrounds. Did you do, did, was that, was Dinky Towner your label though? There was I a label, it, right? I called, yeah, I called when I first started self-releasing music as The Fog and doing those, uh, doing those modern hits uh, remixes too, I called it Dinky Town Records, which was just me. Just me self-releasing right. stuff. Right. Dinky Town was where Life Sucks Die. It's like a part of Minneapolis where Life Sucks Die. We had our little clubhouse office thing, and so. Oh, was there at the in the same space? No, in this just in the neighborhood in the right. same neighborhood. Um, so we all just hung out there a lot. And, yeah, right. Just, yeah. So how did you tell me? Just because um, Life Sucks Die too has such a certain kind of cult history, especially yeah. with people that were getting it when it was being made, and yeah. it's you know. It's for people that might not be familiar with it too. I mean, uh, it was this um, sort of like a punk rock graffiti magazine that yeah. that, but it only listed it only published eight issues, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So it started out um, as just like a black and white. Uh, no, well, uh, you know, like a Kinkos right. thing. You know, uh, just my group of friends. Um, took it upon themselves yeah to make a graffiti magazine um and uh a couple of us worked at kinko's and stole everything and uh, (laughs) and uh you know it was like kind of a punk rock kind of mentality and approach um you know kind of outrageous and shocking and graphic and you know funny and um but you know we were influenced by like Ego Trip and On the Go and probably Big Brother you know too in a way right. and like uh, stuff like that was kind of so what like it, sort of the New York kind of graph hip hop punk yeah or just that mixture of, you know can control to you know just like as a magazine you know like that I mean yeah there was a time when can control was like it you know right and, you know um, so. I think we just wanted to have that approach of like it's a graffiti magazine but we also wanted to just have it be funny and stupid and outrageous right. and just you know have our inside jokes and all that stuff you know? were you there from the very beginning you i was i kind of came in and really started working on it about the third issue 
um, but I was around for the whole time of right. its inception. Who was yeah. who's? Because I mean, I know. I mean, Aaron Horky wasn't the. He wasn't. He didn't start it, right? There's another no. guy that started. it. No, he didn't start it. It was basically like uh, it's basically all the dudes in my crew and yeah? in the graph crew, yeah. Um, and um, uh, Horky contributed a lot of artwork for it. Did the cover of the final issue. Um, and you know he was around a lot at that time. He used right. to live with Slug, okay, uh, like in the late '90s. So he was always around. Everybody was kind of uh, hanging out at that point. Um, and uh, yeah, but no, it was just basically like uh, the you know everybody that started it uh, went on to uh, you know con- continued on the path of doing like cool creative shit in a right. similar vein, like the guys that went on to do they do burlesque design now. yeah so what is that that's just like uh, the, they do all types of design yeah big design work like yeah that. yeah like big design work and um uh posters and mural stuff and t-shirts and web design and um they've gone on to do all kinds of crazy shit and uh that's mike 2600 who's yeah a, yeah 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 mike and wes uh, uh are the guys that spearhead that and um i did a great um dame funk uh printed poster with them a lot like maybe almost 10 years ago mm. where it was like a card um like a king or a yeah oh, like i remember a, that one yeah, yeah where yeah. it was invert it was up upside down and, and right yeah. side up for two different la yeah. and san francisco yeah shows. i remember yeah. that one yeah it's dope. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah the design aesthetic is just like kind of bar none with those guys and aaron too who has mm-hmm. his own like amazing style it was mm-hmm. like such a unique like stylistically it was so yeah intense too, yeah you know? yeah no yeah these are, are geniuses and, and have been for a long time it's just like yeah just a, a group of like super creative funny people um uh with uh, a very irreverent spirit towards things i guess is would be the best way to kind of right. sum up that magazine and like uh ewok too um uh right it was like you know he's a major part of it and uh other guy jeremy and, and you know yeah that is a, just a good group of us that you know right yeah um, i was able to i don't i think this is through you too but i did um contribute some reviews right yeah yeah, yeah. i think Indeed. it was with you yeah I, I think i was you were the reviews editor or something yeah like. yeah yeah so i i kind of um started kind of handling most of like the Right, like the reviews. I guess reviews is kind of like a loose term because it wasn't just like... They're more rants. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just like, um, uh, what was the scale? It was just like, well, our scale, instead of being like five stars, would be like, this album sucks, or this album is no The Chronic album, or, you know, just like whatever, just like uh, our own scale. So I was, yeah, I was doing a lot of that stuff. I was doing a lot of the interviews when we started getting into interviewing more music people that was kind of right. like I was sort of spearheading that I did a lot of that uh, just the editing and proofreading right. and um, I did some of the advertising stuff too when we got into having ads and so all of it all that stuff yeah, yeah right. I was very hands on yeah. did you did you go on to write were you writing elsewhere too did you I did a little bit I did, I did a little bit of freelance writing just like for City Pages uh, in Minneapolis for a while um, and another like uh local weekly in like st louis i did yeah a little bit of stuff but not i never pursued that too hard. right because that was kind of also sort of like the path for certain 
um, even like DJ writers at that time was like, you know, start sort of regionally and then break out. It was like the yeah. Herb Magazine kind of totally. era. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. right. Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of people that contribute, I mean, yourself included, like a lot of people that contributed to Life Sucks Die, you know, were people that, yeah, went on to like, I mean, it really, I mean, really everybody involved in either the inner circle of it or the outer circle of contributors of it, like, are just people that went on to do amazing shit you know like yeah, like espo had stuff in there and like right. um yeah just i don't know yeah a lot, a lot of people kind of at that time we i don't think i appreciated it at the time no i mean now, you never in do retrospect yeah. uh i realized that the, that magazine had a greater uh impact on maybe not a ton of people numerically speaking but the right people right you know what i mean yeah and it was at the time when like for print Music and sort of like, you know, subversive like culture type shit. Like you would, if you were a fan of that, you would buy every single one of those. Right. You would at totally. least check for each one of yeah, those. Yeah, totally. Of yeah, so. yeah, and be waiting for the next right. one. And there's like a sense of anticipation right. about it. And um, yeah, it was very cool. Like it, it was a real, a real cool time. I mean, like, and you know, the 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 content of the magazine, like you know, some of it in retrospect is just like completely offensive and like <laughs> you well, know like porn like pictures like crudely cut out of porno magazines. yeah yeah which which tapered off a little bit towards the, the the end of the print run but no it was it was definitely like um you know a bunch of young horny dudes right uh in our interests but um but at the same time i think it was really smart and i think it was kind of witty and it had like i say just an irreverence about it where we were writing about like hip-hop and and about graffiti, but in a way that had a, 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 a self self deprecating thing, and, right. you know, and had some sarcasm to it. And I mean, I, I think in a big way that was at least for me. I think that came from being such a huge fan of like Ego Trip. Like I said, sure. I mean, they, they, that was to me. They just did the the best job of of infusing hip hop writing uh, with humor and sarcasm Absolutely. and you know it just wasn't like so serious all the time you know they had like a little bit of like a pullback perspective of like seeing the humor in it and the ridiculousness in it and you know like we wanted to yeah have that too and i think most other magazines really i think the writers since they weren't like you know classically trained journalists for whatever that whatever that might mm -hmm. even mean as like music style journalists they inherently took themselves too seriously mm -hmm. and like wanted to be taken seriously as like as critics mm -hmm. you know so they at maybe at times overanalyzed things a little bit where it's like it's almost more poignant if you can come up with a joke about something yeah for know? sure well and, and also a thing that we ran into a lot at that time even locally speaking in the twin cities was you know we had a very playful uh, sarcastic attitude towards everything hip hop included and I think it rubbed a few people the wrong way because at that time in the late 90s I think there's a very stark line drawn between the quote unquote sort of like uh, blinged out corporate hip hop of the day and then the underground hip hop of the, you know that was when underground was like underground you know and like very um, th there was not any crossover between those two things there was yeah. underground hip hop and there was like major label shiny shit hip hop and it was you know the, the the people's tastes didn't really cross over too much and um 
I, I remember a specific time I went to interview uh, Cut Chemist, uh-huh. uh, who was really cool. Like, you know, I was a big fan of his, and it was a great interview and whatever. Um, but you know, we sh- like showing the magazine to the dudes in Jurassic Five, and they just looked at it and just, just like he like handed it back to me. <laughs> it's just uh-huh. you know, like <laughs> I was just like, sorry, man. You know, like I, and now I, you know, it's like I get it. Like it was bratty. You know, and like oh, okay. snotty and kind of, you know, like we, we said some like brash shit in there that probably somebody who could read it and be like, you have no right to be like. But graph, dude, if you're coming from a graph, like a graph point of view, like right. that's, that was the kind of. Exactly. Mentality. Yeah, it, exactly. It was a graph magazine first and foremost. So that, yeah. So what, so some, which is like anarchy, you know, and just mm-hmm. and like not giving shit about anything. And so. Yeah, sometimes there would be times when we would present it to people, and they they just they, they didn't quite get that spirit, <laughs> right. didn't get that spirit from it. But um, but mostly it was pretty well received, I think. And um, yeah, I had the opportunity to just like interview some amazing. Yeah, who people. else did you talk to during that time? Because this um, is like late nineties, early two thousand. Yeah, it's like right? ninety eight, ninety nine, two thousand. Right. Um, so it's I a pretty got, special period of time. Very looking special. Back, yeah, right? yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I got to interview like. Cut chemist and uh, dilated peoples and uh, fishbone and Mr. Bungle and Cubert um, and MF Doom. The interview I did with MF Doom was like a semi life changing thing for me. Right. You know. Well, because he also would eventually be on your first record. He would eventually too. be on my first record. I got to know the guy a little bit. Um, was it in person? No, it wasn't in person. It was over the phone. Um, and I. Honestly, don't even remember. I think those were the days when the phone number of things was on the twelve inch still. Right, and so I called. Call. I called the number that was on the Fondulum twelve inch. Right, and I don't remember if it was Bobito that I spoke to. It may have been, and I was just like, "Hey, you know, I want to do an interview with MF Doom." And you know, it was a matter of a few phone calls later, where I was just like, had the dude's number and did a phone cool. interview with him, which you know, um, and uh, in that interview. Um, it's pretty wild, man. Like if you go back and look at that interview, uh, there's a part where I told him I, I I told him his work reminded me of Charles Bukowski, mm. and I was like, "Have you ever heard of Charles Bukowski?" He's like, "No," and um, we talked about it a little bit, and and then uh, I ended up sending him uh, a ham on rye, I think it was, wow. and then later, you know, years later, he comes out with Born Like This. Uh, which is has Bukowski samples all over the record. Wow! Like he found like this Bukowski, you know. So it's just, it's just, it, like little moments like that where you're just like, damn, man, you know, just like this little uh, microscopic part of something that blossomed into some actual, uh, you know, uh, standing the test of time. Yeah, it's priceless. Shit, yeah, yeah sure. priceless. You know, like stuff like that was really cool. Even yeah, even just like getting to know a guy that um, that. Uh, I admired so much his work I admired so much right. he was just very down to earth and he, you know at that time he was still kind of like making his rebound that was like right during the doomsday time yeah so that was really cool and then I did this interview with Noriega too which was ended up sort of being kind of infamous that's the one that people really kind of like when they talk about the magazine to me that's what they talk what's about what's the story behind that I, same deal like I just I, Noriega was coming to Minneapolis to play a concert and we were all big fans, and I looked at the phone number on the Tommy boy. <laughs> like literally, just like look at the back of his album. There's a phone number on there. Call it. 
eventually get through to somebody and then ask them, who do I talk to to try to line up an uh, interview with Noriega? And eventually talked to somebody there and said, hey, we want to go to the show and interview him after. And, and um, Was this that first time? Or no, this was, at, this was like at the U of M campus somewhere. I don't remember. Um, it was like him and Mob Deep. It was just like a very chaotic show, but uh, but afterwards went to the hotel where he was staying at. Right. Just did this crazy interview with him, and uh, he was just hilarious, just like the funniest dude right. in the world, you know. And and um, uh, it's just like this outrageous, hysterical interview. Uh, I think it's the first. I think it's the first interview where he introduced the word slime into the lexicon you know and it's just like yeah just like again shit like that where you're just like i don't know i th- very one of a kind experiences right. having come out of it and um just being really young and not knowing any better and just like i'm gonna interview noriega and then just oh yeah doing it you know right, and like right. yeah it's cool so anyway so yeah i, I made it i made a few mixtapes that you know um did what they could and um and I think at that point I had just sort of reached like, you know, I had done battles, I had won some battles and felt good about that and and uh, made some. So you have routines and shit, like yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, yeah. mm-hmm. even look, even listening to the new album, which uh, um, I was, you know, not surprised, but I was, it was kind of um, heartwarming to hear. <laughs> but there's like a certain texture of, of actual, like, you know, going back and forth on two turntables. Scratching, with yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and that was a real conscious move. Like I had moved, I moved away from the turntables for quite a while um, as Fog sort of progressed. And then for this last record, I knew, you know, I really wanted to bring those back into the fold um, in sort of a new, fresh way. But um but but yeah no I, I I did I did just I mean really mostly just locally I went and did like DMC right. regionals a couple times and you know didn't win obviously but um, I did it and uh, was really into battling and coming up with routines and uh, scratching and uh, me and abilities would like do a lot of shows and practice together a right. lot and he's sort of like the other dude in town that was like the scratch dude you so know it was like, DJ Andrew and DJ abilities mm, yeah and this other guy King IXL was like kind of like the most probably the before abilities, he was like the the only other like Twin Cities DJ that had like gone far in the DMC. Right, and, like people knew who he was. He was really good. Is that who like coming up? Was there a DJ to aspire towards coming up? As or? far as the battle shit, I excel definitely because he was the one that like you know I had some like second generation VHS dub of like DMC you know national finals where you know it'd be like Babu and. Uh, DJ Disc and you know right. these like West Coast scratch hamsters and like all these dudes and the, you know IXL was like the one dude from Minnesota on that shit you know so it was like he was definitely oh yeah, yeah. is uh, he still around I don't know I yeah. no I, I mean I don't I mean hopefully he's still doing something but right. yeah no I don't I don't know um, I don't know if he DJ, if he's DJing or what but um, anyway so, so yeah so I was doing that a lot playing clubs a lot making mixtapes and then I, I think I eventually just sort of reached a burnout point where I was sort of like musically feeling restless and knew that I wanted to do something a little more, you know, my own thing and, and get away from the sort of competitive aspect of it. Um, and, um, kind of at the same time, uh, was, you know, getting more into like indie rock and like, you know, Radiohead was like, like, okay, computer came out and that kind of like 
you know, really kind of blew my mind and, and I listened to it all the time or like, um, you know, I got, got into like, you know, more melodic kind of like sadder music and, you know, stuff like that, melancholy kind of stuff. And so, so this has got to be like 2000, 2001. Yeah, like it's more like 99. Right. 99. This is also like the, like the, you know, the sort of the birth of Anticon is around that time exactly. too. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Are, and I feel like everybody, like, yeah, Anticon and... And Rhyme Series. Even Rhyme yeah, Series to a degree, like all these people were kind of having a similar experience where it's like you came up loving hip hop, mid 90s hip hop, and being totally immersed in it. And then at a certain point, you're like, I'm, I, you know... I need to insert more of myself into this right. and take more influence from not just hip hop, but from elsewhere and infuse it and make it speak to me a little bit more directly. And, um, and so, you know, so everything I was doing, I was making just on a Tascam cassette four track and, uh, that's how I made all my mixtapes and stuff. And I actually remember it pretty clearly when I was interviewing DJ Qbert for Life Sucks Die, which was like a huge honor for me right. at that time, um, I there was a point in the conversation where we were just talking about making mixtapes and stuff, and I don't know why it, I blurted it out of my mouth, and I was like, I should do a mixtape that has a guitar solo on it. And you know, he's like, Yeah, cool. You should, you know, you should, you should try that. <laughs> and like, and I feel like that at that. M- exact moment was like no I should make a mixtape that has guitar on it and that was kind of like the light bulb in my mind where I was like you know what I'm going to start writing songs on the guitar and playing turntables with it and either it's going to go on a mixtape or I don't know what I'm going to do with it but I'm just going to start making songs where I I play the other instruments that I know how to play with guitar and keyboards and a drum machine whatever shit I had lying around and that's how I made the first Fog record was just started kind of doing these sketches on my four track of you know lay down like cutting up some drums or something on the turntable and then instead of layering more scratching on it I'd play the guitar and like wrote some chords and then once I had those structures I was like, okay, these are songs. I guess I have to sing, and I have to write words. Right. <laughs> and I'd never done that before, um, and so it just was very like just happened very organically. Like, okay, I'm just trying this now. I'm trying this new thing, and it was just a very pure amalgamation of the stuff that I just really happened to love at the time, which was scratch DJs and melancholic songwriting right. and singing, and just kind of brought things that I loved listening to together and uh, it just grew did you ever like low yeah I love yeah yeah I mean not that that, I mean that might be in that sphere somewhere yeah I was listening to their early records at that time too Mm -hmm. yeah they're great Mm -hmm. yeah so then you put that that first album out just put it out on your own and then Mm -hmm. what was that I mean obviously uh, this was an era of like you know self-release projects and stuff like that yeah um, so like same deal yeah I self re- I self-released it you know tried to get it out there using some of the channels that I had uh, you know people I had gotten connected with by the magazine so like right. Re- Revolver uh, right. Distro took some and ATAC and like you know those places all took it um, and then just sold it locally and or via the magazine we had a little ad in there where you could order it through the magazine right. you know like that kind of shit and um and so it got, you know, it got around a tiny bit 
uh, enough to where um, uh, Dose heard it. Um, and at the time, he was also dating a friend of mine, uh, this girl that lived in Minneapolis. And so um, he, he heard it. Um, and um, we sort of got introduced formally. We had, we had met, I think, uh, once before that when Ryan Sayers was bringing all the Anticon dudes into right. Minneapolis to do shows. I had met him and Yoni and uh, Nosedom and all those guys uh, once or twice before. But, um, yeah, so me and uh, Adam Dose uh, kind of got to be buddies, and he took... Uh, took my self-released album to uh, Ninja Tune because right he was doing some A&R work for them um, or, he, or? well so he t- actually he was doing A&R for Mush right um, who also released a ton of independent hip hop shit at that time um, he brought it to Mush and to Ninja Tune uh, originally I was going to sign with Mush um, but then Ninja Tune kind of I was basically going to do the same thing that Cloud Dead did where they released it on Mush and then Ninja Tune handled it in the UK right. I was going to do that same thing um, but then Ninja Tune was like no we want to do the whole thing you know and, it's amazing uh, amazing it was yeah and uh, you must have been pretty pleased to uh, thrilled yeah <laughs> right. yeah just incredibly stoked you know um, so yeah so then I got signed to Ninja Tune um for a couple records and that was uh you know and then kind of like remixed and tinkered with the original self-released uh fog record so there's a version of it that exists um on compact disc in my attic (laughs) if anybody wants one uh (laughs) there's that version but then the retooled sort of remixed version with a couple songs that have dose on them that's the one that ninja tune put out in 2002 um, what was, so I know that I missed this just for a second, but uh, the M- MF Doom did the intro to that album. Yeah. So uh-huh. What was the, what was he reading? He was reading some passage. Yeah, right? it's a passage. It's, it's like the foreword to a play uh, called "Time of Your Life" uh, by William Saroyan, is the mm. writer, um, whose uh, work I, I like a lot, and um, I hopefully don't get in any kind of trouble for having had that happen but that was a long time ago so yeah i think the uh, statute of limitations, <laughs> yeah, statute of limitations yeah um but yeah my friend a friend of mine just like showed me that piece of text and thought it was cool and cool. i was like yeah that's really cool because um, if you listen to it now i mean it's like in the context of even doom's career it's just like a pretty um dense like piece of material mm-hmm. to hear in his spoken mm-hmm. voice yeah you know? totally it's a powerful thing yeah and um I, you know man i don't know for as much of being like a 21 year old dumbass as i was that was a good call yeah, <laughs> you know say. like yeah. uh yeah i i guess i was I, uh, you know i don't know it had like an old soul like doom is like an old soul yeah you know yeah. and i think i am too or i was i, I kind of in, in many ways i think i felt older at that time than i do now but uh he uh yeah it just felt really right for him to, right. to do that and and so he was very gracious about it i was just like hey man you know i got this thing can you read it and uh sent it to me and he, he was just very cool about it and read it and sent it to me on a mini disc and uh, <laughs> Hell yeah. and, you know did it like that and um yeah so so that was the that yeah that that was how the first record kind of came to be and that was the first time I ever got to go on tour and go overseas right. to Europe and play. And, what was, yeah. Who were you with then at that time? Um, I mean, I, I had to put together a band pretty quickly. I made everything on the record myself. Um, 
and uh, Jeremy Oldesacker, who helped me mix the record, he joined my band, and then a couple other guys, Martin Dosh and Mark Erickson. So the first incarnation. All Minneapolis players. All Minneapolis players, yeah. yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was like the first live incarnation of it, and having to recreate all this, you know, sort of like weird uh, off-kilter shit that I had just made on a four-track, having to like recreate it with a live band, right. which inevitably turned into like a weird rock band with turntables in it. Right. And, um, and that was like a whole different set of challenges because I was on Ninja Tune, and when we first started touring, um, and you know, promoters or venues or journalists or whoever, like anybody that was writing about it was just that was the first thing they saw. It was like Ninja Tune. So we immediately got filed under like this is trip hop. Right. And then we'd play a show and it was like pretty loud and pretty like rocky. You yeah. Know, like me playing turntables but a bunch of guitar and live drums and you know, it was real noisy and uh pretty um not trip hop so people <laughs> so, were didn't really know what to do yeah with like it's it really started off a very long career of like people expecting one thing and then getting right. another <laughs> getting another thing but if and, you look uh, back at those records they're all pretty like um they're all a little different from one another right yeah and, mm. and pretty adventurous in their own right i mean yeah like, you must have been in a in a in different Headspaces each time out. Yeah, for sure. Every time I made a different record, it was a different headspace and a different zone that I wanted to um, challenge myself. I always just wanted to challenge myself to do new something new every time. Come out with something new every time. And um, it's actually I talked about this with Yoni a little bit too when I talked to him about it and like. It, it, it kind of I feel like came across as sort of like a confrontational or sort of like a fuck you thing like you know I'm gonna switch it up every time and like you know whatever you thought the last record I did sounded like this one's totally different fuck right. you you know like I don't want you to like my shit but it wasn't that at all it was actually in my own mind being like it was like the hip hop influence it was like from battling it was like okay I did this one routine and it you know and you liked it but now I gotta totally flip the script and like come up with some crazy shit for the next one that's totally different and like keep it fresh, you know. And that's where it came out of was just like you know, but it was just like my own weird version of it that happened to like like all kinds of different music, right. you know. So, but but it was still the hip hop influence on it telling me like, okay, you did that. Now what's the next shit? Like, what is the next thing that you're gonna do that people aren't gonna expect? It just so happened that like my choice was like, okay, the next record's not gonna have turntables on it at all. Right. It's gonna be a fucking. It's gonna be a rock record. Right. You know, and in certain ways, throughout the course of like what I've been doing with music in my career, that has not been helpful in the career sense, um, because you know the person who bought my first record and dug it, you know, three records later, they're hearing something that could be a completely different band. And they're just right. like, you know, if you're not like um, a person who just is really open and loves all different kinds of music, you, I can see how a person could be completely like put off by that. Yeah, you know? your but, average fan, um, it it takes them a lot more time to catch up to the artist than it does when it happens right inside your head. Yeah, totally. Yeah, my attention span is pretty short and I move pretty quickly and my, my tastes move and shift uh with you know pretty rapidly and so i've just always kind of followed my instincts and done what has felt right at the time 
um, regardless of what my you know radar for the perception of it could have should have been and so I just like done damn near every kind of music that you could do right and um, after yeah. the first was Jaime's basement after the first rec after the first fog thing or was yeah it that was after um, yeah I think that was right after the uh, ether teeth the second fog record came right. out I think Jaime's came out shortly after that yeah which is in my opinion very slept on I mean kind of mm. uh, this uh, this is with Yoni Wolf, who's of Y, yeah. you know, who's a good friend of mine, and Dose, those, all those guys um, I've known for a long time, and really who championed your music where, where I could really, like, uh, kept up with it through them, too. Yeah, for sure. Because you would, uh, I mean, Jaime's Basement is a great, like, basement, prototypical basement, lo-fi kind of, like, mm -hmm. sort of outsider folk type thing, but... Yeah, I love that record. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, it, I... I think that record is still really good. I'll go revisit it sometimes. And I'll be like, yeah, it's still really, you know. Just and it was done sort of on the fly, too, right? Totally on the fly, yeah. We, we, we really wrote it and recorded it over the span of two weeks and basically just kind of made a new song every day. Yeah. Wrote a new song every day or whatever and recorded it. And um, Yeah, it was just a, a great experience. We did it in the basement of Jaime's Records, which my wife Julie owned at the oh, time. Oh, really? Yeah. I, didn't, I don't know that place. It, it's, it does, does it still exist? It still exists, yeah. Really? Um, yeah, she sold it in 2009, so a different. Uh, it's under different ownership now, but it still exists. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, but uh, she ran it for like uh, 10 years. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a, a real amazing place. That's where I met my wife. And um, At the just, shop? Yeah. Oh, cool, man. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, and um, I just learned... A ton about music in general at that place. I would go and work there a little bit and just sit behind the counter. And, and they had a basement studio, or was it just a storage? No, it was just, area? yeah, just storage. You know, oh, it was cool. just like yeah, where they kept you know the dollar records or whatever, and right. we just like moved our moved a tape machine in there for a couple of weeks. And cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. It was really fun, super fun. Um, yeah, that yeah that that record. Um, I have a many many fond warm uh, reminiscences about that one yeah I think Yoni does too you know mm -hmm. it's obviously like at a time when he was I feel like he was super prolific at this time too mm -hmm. sort of spreading his wings too mm -hmm. from both Y and then he did Reaching Quiet and Cloud Dead and mm -hmm. we're all like in this uh, circumference of this whole thing yeah and, and for you sure. were changing it up too yeah well. I think that I think that me and Adam and Yoni and like uh, Hood that band Hood you know everybody, mm -hmm. like everybody I think there was kind of a circle at that time, and everybody was like, everybody was really profoundly influenced by each other's shit, right. and bouncing off of that uh, between ourselves and and among ourselves, and uh, yeah, very like lightning in a bottle kind of right. time. Right. I know? think that there's definitely a, a, especially during that time, the connection between Minneapolis or really the, the Twin Cities and the Bay Area was like seemed very strong, even mm -hmm. for atmosphere and rhyme stairs. There's always the shows were really big in the Bay. I mean, I think back and forth between those kind of camps or communities. It's, yeah, it seemed like it for sure. Yeah, and in Cincinnati too, right? Those right. guys were based too. You know, like with Scribble and absolutely. Um, right? yeah. yeah, there's the whole kind of triangle of shit. You know, just, yeah, Cincinnati, Scribble, Jam, Dibs. Minneapolis had like rhyme sayers and I you know idea and and Chicago know. too. I mean, there was a, definitely a network. Rather, yeah, for know, sure. Like, yeah, all that shit was like really popping off at that time. Um, and it, you know, I was de I was definitely sort of like the, uh, on the weirdo outsider circle of it, but you know, but still present. Right. And um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was that was a really really cool open time and. Um, 
lot just like young, super creative, uh, fiery people, you know, yeah. just like uh, intensely discovering these sort of new realms. And um, yeah, it's really neat to be a part of that. It's incredible to, to look at where all those artists are now, mm-hmm. you know, like how the you know estuaries of their career have taken mm-hmm. them all in very different directions very different. you know yeah yeah totally uh-huh. i know I, I, yeah I, I it's a trip um, i mean fog included i mean so this even this record now is what the eighth seventh or eighth album or uh boy let me think about that one because you've done a couple yeah it's the, it's the fifth proper fog record okay um there's been a couple eps and stuff too in between um, and then, yeah, then there's a Jaime's record. Um, I mean, I've done now a few releases just under my own name. Um, yeah, kind of like, you know, you don't really realize it in the moment, but like finally you come to a place where you're like, no, I, I have a body of work. Do you even <laughs> categorize it though, like per group though? Because just even hearing you say it right now and knowing like, because I associate fog with a certain style and then you know the band that i saw at south by which is which was another band formation on stage like it was a four or five piece but yeah yeah it's a rock band that it's it's the original lineup of the guys that played in fog oh okay cool i didn't realize uh, that yeah but it's just you know yeah i'm i think finally i have sort of learned to like um put these things in a in a little bit of a um of a lane of these different things right. that I do just to avoid uh, confusion among myself. <laughs> right. Uh, but I love that group too. And I got to yeah. tell you, like I was, I was in a certain headspace when I saw you play mm-hmm. that show, but like uh, word up, like word is bond. Like I welled up. Like when uh, I, uh, when I saw you guys play in, in Austin so as that, as that band, which it's called the cloak ox, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah no, thank you. Yeah. I, um, right. And that, that band has kind of become the avenue if I'm basically, if I'm writing songs for guitar, right. You know, that are just a little more like straightforward musically, you know, guitar based drums kind of stuff. Like that's kind of where that goes. Right. And then if I'm making beats or doing things, uh, a little more like electronic or just anything that's more on the solo level uh, it'll be as fog or like under my own name right you know kind of put things in little in little boxes like that just to make it a a bit easier because i do do a lot of shit right so what what's the what's the newest record called again the new fog new fog record is called for good and uh came out um i guess what was it last uh in the spring all right, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like, uh, you know, obviously a long time coming. Mm-hmm. Was it a long time making too? Yeah, it took a couple of years to make it. Um, I did a Kickstarter to uh, to fund it, which worked. Um, so that just helped you like set aside the time to record in a yeah. and and um, mix and master it. Exactly. And all that stuff yeah, too, yeah, right? yeah. Record. Yeah, it's just basically like the full recording budget um, to track mix master pay a couple people to come in and play right. on it and um yeah uh and it's released on totally gross national product which is minneapolis label that my friends run um yeah what's up with that because that they just uh, i noticed some that was the the your previous band did something on that label right. too right yeah, yeah yeah it's um yeah uh it's uh ryan olson and drew christopherson uh are kind of the guys that founded the label um and they've been putting out uh releases most mostly by minneapolis artists there's, there's yeah. some stuff not but um they've been doing it for a few years now and um 
they've just been such incredible uh, supporters and cheerleaders for what I've been doing. And I definitely took sort of a, a dip away from things after the last Fog record, which came out in like 2007. Right. Um, I didn't stop doing music, but I definitely like um, was a little bit kind of lost in the wilderness as far as like what's my identity like what do really? I do like yeah yeah definitely because I, I mean yeah Ditherer the, the last Fog record before this one called Ditherer came out and um, you know I guess I guess honestly speaking it sort of didn't do what either I or the label had sort of wanted it to do as an album right. both in terms of sales or um, just yeah, just re reaching, even just reaching the original Fog audience because again, it sounded just totally different. That was it was like a rock record, right? You know, it's a cool record. I, I I'm proud of it, but it, it um, yeah. If if I was a listener and I heard that, and I I would, it's it's very strikingly different than the original records that I had made, which you know, um, you know, had kind of like a good buzz to them, and people sure people heard them and stuff. So. Um, yeah, so that record came out, and, and I think there was a little bit of disappointment on my end there. Like, geez, like, I sort of painted myself into a corner or something here. Like, where do I go? Like, what do, you know, where do I go from this? And so I didn't put anything out for a while. I started doing, like, these weird, like, noise guitar releases, just self-releasing shit on a very, like, DIY level. I, um, I recorded a couple albums, uh with Y, Alopecia, and Eskimo Snow, like, played on those records. Yeah, and then, you play guitar on those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah Which are incredible records. They're I mean, great records, those yeah. Those are, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, those are amazing records. And um, and then I toured in the band Y for, like, all of 2010. So, you know, that took up a big chunk of time. Sure. And so, yeah, so there was a few years where I was just, like, um, just kind of refinding like, who I was as a musician. And, right. Um, you know, I had a series of just like weird jobs, and you know, just got a strange time. You know, just kind of like searching. And, and you had a you have you have a kid too. Yeah, I ha yeah, right. So I have a three year old son, and um, and really, uh, yeah, it's weird how things kind of come together and converge. But I think really in the last three to four years is when I kind of have kind of been reinvigorated. Right. You know, and. Um, figured out like found just found some new inspiration and you know I had a kid and and um, just really felt the urge like okay you know I know it's not gonna be the same as it was before and I don't want it to be the same as no. it was before no. but but it was uh, but it's been an exciting time uh, and sort of go back to totally gross national product these guys um, who are all they're all from Eau Claire Wisconsin but migrated okay. to the uh, migrated to the Twin Cities and um, and they uh, have just kind of been so instrumental in like giving me like the belief that like I you know have something to say still musically speaking and that it should be heard and you know they've just been an incredible like support system uh, for this new stuff that I'm doing. Amazing. So yeah it's it's cool man it's like um, it feels very Feels feels like uh, you know, like obviously, like I have the perspective of having a bunch of records and touring and stuff under my belt. Sure. In the past, but it still kind of is feeling new and 
you know. You're seasoned at this point. In yes, time, right? that, yeah, def, definitely. And that I think that helps in being like, you know, I know how to be, I know what I don't want to do, right. you know, kind of like, um, and, I, and I think I have a good radar now for like making decisions uh, uh, that, I, you know, aren't going to benefit me. Um, you know, I can just like take things at a little more of right. an easy pace right now and just do things a little bit on my own terms. But um, yeah, yeah, because I mean, it has been. I mean, it's ten years since that, since the last one. So um, yeah, I mean, that's a it's it's cool. I mean, it's good that you can even bring yourself back to a project that you started like mm-hmm. what in two thousand. Mm-hmm. You know, basically yeah. more or less, and yeah, you know, fifteen years, sixteen, seventeen years later, like yeah. be able to come back to it with a completely relatively different perspective yeah totally and like i think what what i feel really like kind of lucky about is that i think this new record i did manage to capture some of the spirit of those original albums yeah i mean you are there's some you're you're, i mean the turntables are in effect they're being yeah you know and and just more like going back to sort of like the uh lone weirdo style a little bit but with different players a different approach like obviously having developed you know my singing a lot and like you know just uh you know just like the older wiser version of that same spirit um i'm just really uh stoked about that that i feel like i pulled it off like i knew i knew what i wanted to do before i started making this record and then actually did it and that's like that's a cool feeling it reminds me of uh, arto Lindsay. it has like Uh, a um like this vibe where he at least because he'll have this sort of i've worked with i've worked with him on a bunch of different things over the years so uh you know his some of his material has this you know darker production element like uh, and he's never been a formally trained guitar player but his mm-hmm. sound is really kind of has this kind of abrasive um uh darkness to it but his the lyric the vocals over it have this very like you know delicate calculated sort of yeah. approach where it just i mean not, it's not the same but it feels yeah. like it's coming from that same yeah uh horizon yeah you know that's so, red well, yeah. i'll take that yeah yeah for sure. <laughs> um and uh so you you said that with that label again they're from what's the town in wisconsin again uh eau claire so yeah, yeah. which yeah. is where bonnie bear's like from right exactly that, that yeah, camp yeah so yeah right. those, all those guys like went to high school together um and so yeah and that's been that's been another like super cool sort of blossoming of a thing in the last couple of years is like justin from bonnie bear is like been this huge supporter man and like just getting to know him and and um be involved with him a little bit is uh, what's the thing that you you so you're going to berlin from here from new york uh and it's something that he's involved with too yeah yeah he's involved in curating this festival uh called michelberger music it's basically uh people that own the michelberger hotel are throwing this festival um where they're gathering a whole bunch of artists from a, a whole bunch of places uh, and letting them hang out and work in these recording studios for a week and jam and record and make whatever and then prepare some kind of uh, surprising and new performance for the end of that week. As a collaboration? As a collaboration. Like an ensemble? Mm, yeah, it's just like, it's very open-ended. Cool. It's kind of like you go there, find a buddy, oh, work nice. on something, you know, and spit it out. And, um, and you stay there at the hotel? Stay at the stuff. hotel Dope. and then do, yeah, play at this crazy performance space. So like... Yeah, stuff like that, man. Whereas, like, um, you know, five years ago, six years ago, when I was sort of like in that weird hole of like, what the fuck am I gonna do next? Am I even gonna like continue on this path or whatever? Like, 
now having the opportunity to do some things like that, um, I'm very grateful for it, you know? Like, I very well could have just, like, completely dropped off the map and decided, like, it wasn't worth it to continue uh, trying to put out music in any capacity other than just playing around as a hobby. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that it's kind of, you know, it feels like it's kind of come around a little bit um, and that I've had the wherewithal to ride things out and, yeah. you know, be a little patient and uh, and be cognizant when certain things are kind of coming back up. So, like, yeah, yeah, uh, Vernon's been, like, a huge help in that, too. You know, like, recording at his studio in Eau Claire is where we did a lot of oh, the, nice. his new record. and. Um, and yeah, I did a little bit of stuff on his new record. And like, yeah, oh, fantastic, cool. man. Yeah. 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 And, and going, this this thing that you're going to do in Berlin, it's kind of uh, anchors a European tour for Fog, too. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, so then I go and do a European tour opening for my friends Polisa. Right. Um, another Minneapolis uh, group um, as Fog. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And, and that, and... I know we talked about this earlier too, but that's like it's been a while since you've been out there as well too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And last time was what playing with the full band. Yeah, uh, yeah. Last time was a full band fog tour in like 2008. Was the last right. time I toured in Europe. So yeah, it's been a minute. So what's the live show like right now? Well, it's it, it's it's different on depending on circumstances. Like uh, we've been doing shows as a trio or a duo. Um, these European shows, it's just going to be just me. Wow. So when's the last time you just did solo? Well, I've been doing shows local uh, in the Twin Cities for the last few years, just doing like live, like improvised beat making stuff. So, and that's been really cool. Like that's that's really changed a lot of how I'm approaching things live, like using, you know, live looping and turntables and drum machines and all this stuff to kind of make beats by hand on the mm. fly. And like that's been really cool. And like I've kind of developed like a little language with it that I'm really happy with. Um, and so I'll be doing a bit of that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it'd basically, basically be like turntables, piano, me singing, some improvising. Right. Um, you know, we'll see. see Are you happens. playing guitar too? No, no guitar. Okay, cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I've done enough stuff at this point where it's like, I, I feel okay going into doing shows, like not exactly knowing what's going to happen. Yeah, like, That actually sounds exciting right. as opposed to terrifying. It's a little terrifying, but not, not terrifying to where I feel like the whole thing, you know, I, I have enough confidence in myself that I can do an interesting set regardless of what the setup is or right. what the circumstances are. And I are, think, you know. um, well, tonight should be interesting. Right. Yes, tonight. I think there's a show tonight. There is a show tonight, as so I have been assured. Yeah, our show got moved to a different venue, which I don't twice twice (laughs) in the same neighborhood though. So basically, no difference. Well, Um, I can't wait to come see the show tonight, man. And I appreciate you coming all the way here to talk with me too, man. So thanks so much, man. Good seeing you again. Yes, man. All right, my man. Anytime. Yeah. Thanks. Yes. I want to send my thanks to Andrew Broder, Fog, uh, for coming through and sitting and chatting with me here on the house list. Uh, I'm your host, Peter Agustin. If you're listening to this essentially in real time when I drop it, um, make sure if you're in the New York area and these shows aren't already sold out, which they most likely will be if they aren't already, um, catch 
Andrew as Fog opening up for Bonnie Bear at the King's Theater here in Brooklyn, New York, December 12th and 13th. Um, I'll be at one of them. Uh, I think I'm loaning him my turntables too. So if if you if you're at one of them shows and you see him um, cutting shit up on stage, um, uh, most likely those going to be my my turntables, my Technique 1200s, um, indestructible joints. So um, again, I want to thank you guys for listening. You can definitely subscribe on iTunes. If you so please, you can also catch this podcast on the Stitcher app if you prefer to listen that way and on soundcloud.com. Um, opening theme produced and written by Dame Funk and Keith Ede. The show was edited and engineered by my man CJ Stewart out in McKinleyville, California, Humboldt County. And I'm going to close this joint out this particular show rather with a song off of fog's new album this is the title track if i'm not mistaken for good um i love this joint so i'll figure you know give you guys a taste if you haven't already heard the new album you can pick it up um you can even peep it out online if you just want to preview it i'm sure it's on itunes but you can go to fog-minneapolis.bandcamp.com and you can peep it out there too and uh just really quickly for some context this is like his first record in like a decade so it's a cool it's a cool return to form so i'm gonna let the show ride out to this joint thank you again ladies and gentlemen i will catch you next week here on the house list with peter agostin peace y'all Take care. Caught staring at the millionaire By the manager of its disgusting firm I presented a gift A hand-carved Tibetan beggar's bowl To house all its little Sucker punched by a method. I always knew I would have to leave this town. I knew I had to go scatter little shrapnel of myself all around. Had a cuff.